red flags, rain and penalties galore. There was a little bit of chaos that went on at the Canadian Grand Prix race weekend and I'm here to discuss it all. So get ready, because you've been summoned to the steward's office. Hello everyone and welcome back to the steward's office. I'm Syra, and today I'm discussing one of my favourite races on the F1 calendar. Yep, this week I'm talking about the Canadian Grand Prix. I'm a huge fan of the circuit, I love the racing there, I love the circuit, I think there's always a really good reception from the fans, and so I was super excited for this race weekend. And there was a lot going on before we even got to Sunday, so let's get into it. Friday overall was just a little bit of a mess, let's be honest here. FP1 started and Red Bull had air brakes on, were really quick to get out because they were doing a test program at the start of the session. But barely anyone managed to get proper laps in as Pierre Gasly was complaining down the radio and the car ended up stopping on the side of the track. The engine was still running, he was in neutral, but he just couldn't get the car to go. The other Alpine of Esteban Ocon wasn't doing too great either. He hadn't even managed to make it out of the garage because there was some work being done on the car. Otmar ended up saying it was just drawing an unusual current and they wanted to investigate and just make sure the car was okay and safe to go out. A red flag did end up eventually being thrown for Pierre Gasly since he was stopped on the side of the road and they couldn't really push the car anywhere safe and get stewards on track with the amount of cars that were going past him. So that red flag brought a pretty early pause to proceedings in FP1. Now, I didn't think it was gonna take that long for them to get the car off the track and then back to the garage the minute it was off the track. That didn't end up being the case. That red flag carried on for quite a while and eventually, I think it was about 30 minutes into FP1 when we still had a red flag, we got word that the trackside CCTV cameras that the FIA used to make sure that all the cars are safe and there are no crashes were no longer working. The FIA deemed it a safety issue as they wouldn't be able to keep track of the cars on the race circuit, so they were unable to restart FP1 until they got their CCTV footage back. They were saying it was more of a local provider issue than it was F1 and the FIA, so there wasn't a whole load that they were able to do. And eventually, the FIA ended up deciding that the recession would not be resumed, there was no point, the CCTV wasn't coming back, and even if it did, by the time they restarted it, there would be very little point in having the cars go back out on track. I think the most amount of laps we managed to get in those opening minutes of FP1 was about 8 laps. And there were two groups of people that I felt really bad for with this red flag and the stopping of FP1. The first group was the fans, the ones that had gone out there to watch FP1 had bought tickets, were standing in the grandstands. The weather was absolutely awful in Canada on Friday as well, or at least in Montreal where the race was being held. And they were really battling the elements at that point and to not see any action on track must have been gutting for them. The second group of people I then felt bad for were all the teams that had bought upgrades to Canada and there were quite a few of them. I especially felt bad for Williams since they had only brought upgrades for Alex Albon's car. 
Logan isn't getting any of the upgrades until Silverson, so I think they're really hoping to get as much data as they could out of the three free practice sessions from Alex to figure out how they were reacting to the car and what they could do to improve the car in the coming races. Thankfully though, I think the FIA understood that the limited run time was not good for them. Canada is a difficult track to run anyway, and you also have three rookies on this racetrack this year. So they did opt to end up extending FP2 by 30 minutes. So it was going to start half an hour earlier, and it was just going to give the teams and the drivers that chance to have a bit more of an extended run and make up for some of that lost time. FP2 began, and I think what you could see straight away was how bumpy that track was. It was insane. I haven't seen heads bobbing up and down like that since we had the poor poison issues back in 2022. Haven't really seen it much this year, but there were multiple cars and drivers where you could just see the heads going from side to side or up and down. And there were a lot of drivers complaining about it as well. We ended up having two red flags in FP2 though. One was for Nico Hulkenberg. He had a really bad engine problem where there was smoke coming out of his car. It was not safe to drive. He stopped on track and the red flag came out. We also had another red flag from Esteban Ocon and Alpine were just having a nightmare on Friday, to be honest with you. He ended up being told by his race engineer to stop the car on track, so whatever was going on there was quite urgent for them to say that he couldn't even make it back to the pits. Friday was just not a good day for them, and you could tell by Otmar Safnau's face that he was not happy with what was going on. Chaco Perez was having a bit of a difficult FP2 session as well. He was just struggling to get in a fast lap, a sort of quality simulation. He just couldn't put the lap together. I think at one point when he was going for a fast lap, he ended up clipping a wall, which was just a nightmare. So he was having a little bit of a struggle. And then towards the end of FP2, as if two red flags and a shortened FP1 wasn't enough, we then got a little bit of rain. I say a little bit, it was quite a lot of heavy rain in the last five minutes of FP2. It was a really, really bad downpour and it just looked unsafe to drive in, to be honest. It was very heart in mouth moment because I was just thinking someone's going to end up going into a wall because that track is so, so slippery. Normally, I don't mind the rain. I quite like when we have wet qualies and wet races, but the way the rain was coming down at this point, it just looked unsafe. Then we got into FP3 on Saturday and that was another wet practice but unlike FP2 it was wet from the get-go and I can't lie Mercedes really looked like they were struggling during the session and I mean throughout the entirety of the session the car looked like an absolute handful. They were just really struggling to get heat into their tyres. We know Mercedes are really good at looking after their tyres during a race day. Their car setup and the way that they've built this car means that it's really gentle on the tyres, which is great. But when it's raining and you're using intermediate tyres and wet tyres, you need to generate tyre heat quite quickly so you get a lot of grip. And both Mercedes were unable to do that. You could tell Lewis Hamilton was frustrated with it because he got to a point where he told Bono down the radio, look, I am just wasting time out here. I may as well come back into the pits. Carlos Sainz had a little bit of a nightmare in FP3 as well. He just had quite a big moment where he spun off track, hit a barrier, and his front nose came pretty much clean off. It was a really awful crash to watch. I'm so glad that he came out a bit unscathed. There wasn't a vast, vast amount of damage to the car, thankfully. But it was just one of those moments, I think, in the rain that any driver could have had as well. And considering how chaotic FP1, 2 and 3 had been, I did think we were going to be going for a similar trend in quality. 
And lo and behold, I was right. Because the drivers started to come out of the pits fairly quickly when they were allowed to in the time that started for Q1, which wasn't a surprise. I think a lot of them were worried the rain was going to start coming down and they wanted to get bank collapse in before any rain happened. But Zhou Guan Yu came out of the pits and pretty much immediately we end up hearing a radio from him. And he was saying that he had lost power and he had no drive. And this was pretty much immediately after he had left the pit lane. And I was just thinking, wow, this is an amazing start to Quali. He was trundling fairly slowly. So I think they were yellow flagging the circuit at the start. But I was like, that's kind of useless as well in Quali because the drivers want fast laps and a yellow flag is not going to help them because they're going to have to slow down. Eventually, he did end up stopping on track and a red flag was shown. Thankfully, though, he did manage to get the car going again. So we didn't have a cherry pickle or anything come and have to recover his car. The Alfa Romeo pit wall didn't seem too worried about the car. They didn't think it was an actual engine issue. By the sounds of it, it was just an electronics issue. I think they just needed to reboot some software when he got back into the garage. And once the red flag got cleared away, he was actually able to get back out and continue on in quality. So at least it wasn't a huge problem for him. But as the drivers started to head back out, we heard some of them mention that there was rain at turn two, which was a little bit of a nightmare because I'm sure a lot of them were hoping they could get a couple of laps in at the start of quality without there being any rain. But we did get a really interesting battle for P1 between Verstappen and Alonso. The Aston Martin upgrades really seemed to be working for Alonso and him and Verstappen were basically seemingly swapping P1 every other lap. Carlos signs at the end of Q1, or towards the end of Q1, seemed to slow down everyone behind him so, so much. And that did include impeding Pierre Gasly. They were all approaching the finish line and the checker flag was just about to be thrown. And I don't know whether Carlos just wanted to make sure he was going to be the last person to take it. He didn't want anyone else behind him to be able to take it. But it did seem a little bit dangerous and he did later get penalised for impeding Pierre Gasly because it did end up stopping Pierre from being able to set a quicker lap because it wrecked his lap. The rain kept coming down in Q2 and nearly all of the drivers went out on intermediate tyres not wanting to risk it. Everyone bar Alex Albon that was. Alexander Albon with these new upgrades on the Williams car opted to go out on slick tyres. And at this point, I did think Williams was just a little bit crazy. He was the only one with the new upgrades. Logan Sargent wasn't getting them until Silverstone, so the assumption was they didn't have a whole load of spare parts either. And the spare parts they probably did have were, I'm assuming, going to be old spec. So if anything were to happen to his car during quality, because he went out on a set of slicks, it was going to mean that the likelihood was he is probably swapping back to old parts and they weren't going to get a whole load of data from his car and the new upgrades. I think he played it quite safe though in those opening stages while the track was slowly drying out. Didn't want to risk it, knew that he wasn't actually going to get quick times until it dried out a little bit more. And then about 10 minutes left in Q2, a lot more of the drivers opted to come out on slick tyres. So Alex's gamble was paying off and working out for him. So hats off to the Williams strategy team and for Alex Albon also having faith in their strategy. Q2 did get a little bit messy though. We did have Charles quite early on in Q2 asking to go onto the slicks. I think he kind of had a feeling when he was going out onto the track that the intermediate ties weren't really necessary. 
Ferrari Pitwall came back to him though and said, no, most people are on the intermediates. We don't want you on those tyres yet. But I think sometimes you kind of have to listen to how your driver is feeling with his tyres. He's the one in the car. He's got a better feeling for it. And you can't always follow what other people are doing. I mean, Williams didn't and it was paying off for Alex at that time. So I think Charlotte obviously felt that the intermediate tyres might not have worked for him. They might work for other people, but for him, I think he was ready to get onto the slicks. But Ferrari pretty much vetoed that straight away. And you could sense there was a little bit of frustration there. And look, I know drivers don't have all of the data and all of the information, but I think sometimes you do have to listen to the person that is in the car or at least take into account what they're saying. Alex Albon, though, was just setting such amazing lap times. He was in P1 coming out of Q2, which was amazing for him. Amazing for the Williams and a testimony to their upgrades and to their tyre strategy during quality. Don't get me wrong, I don't think they had bang on the pace to get P1 and, you know, they didn't get pulled, so they didn't have the best pace in the world. But their strategy obviously paid off for them and the upgrades were working to an extent that they were able to set some good lap times in. We ended up having two drivers being knocked out in Q2 that you wouldn't expect to be there and they were Charles Leclerc and Sergio Perez. This is the second time in a row that Charles Leclerc has been unable to make Q3. Obviously last time out in Barcelona the car just wasn't there for him to even make it out of Q1 and they're still not entirely sure what happened there. There was so much frustration in his radio when he didn't get through into Q3. He's not someone that really yells down the radio a lot and even in his tense moments I haven't necessarily heard him yell like that, especially at his own team. Post-quality he did apologise to the team, shouldered some of the blame and says look you know there are tense moments you do get upset and those kind of outbursts do happen. But yeah, I think for Ferrari, there were a couple more questions to be asked about what happened during that qualifying for Charles Leclerc. Sergio Perez, I'm not entirely sure what is happening there with him. Is there the potential that he was kind of on the wrong tyre strategy during quali? Yes, I do think so. But Lewis Hamilton was also in that same boat. Mercedes left it quite long to put him onto the slicks. And when they did, it was too late. The rain had started to come down again and... He had missed that perfect window to get onto the slick tyres and get a good time in. But by the skin of his teeth, Lewis had managed to make it into Q3. The time he had set on the intermediate tyres was enough to get him in there. With Sergio, he was just unable to pull the lap together in Q2. And I think that was what the main issue was for him. He was going for those fast laps, but he was just struggling. He was going into grass. He just wasn't able to pull it together and keep it together for a full quality lap. And I think that was the main issue there. What was quite nice to see, though, was both of the McLarens getting into Q3. I think in general their quality pace has been better than what their race pace is but it was nice to see both Lando and Oscar managing to get into Q3 even in wet quality and things like that. I know there were sort of external circumstances at work there but it is about maximising on those external circumstances and you've got to be there and set in those times in order to get into Q3. So that was some good news for McLaren this race weekend. We had the drivers coming out straight away on intermediate tyres during Q3 since the rain started in Q2. There were reports of the ring getting heavier later on in the session, so a lot of them were going to want to get out straight away, set that bank of lap in, set a good quick time because the chances of it improving later on in the session were pretty low. And then we had another red flag as Oscar Piastri ended up spinning and hitting a wall. But just before we saw the red flag come out, 
Nico Hulkenberg managed to cross the line and take P2. He managed to bump Fernando Alonso from P2 into P3 and Lewis Hamilton went into P4 because of that lap. Tasks actually do really well when we have these sort of weird quality conditions. They are a team that seem to consistently be maximising on weird circumstances. And like I said, nothing wrong with that. You've got to be there to maximise on it. You've got to be on the ball and setting those laps in. And yep, it is down to luck sometimes, don't get me wrong. Nico was very lucky with where he was in his lap run. But yeah, he managed to get into P2. I think everyone called it after that red flag was thrown and as Oscar Piastri's car was being recovered that we weren't going to get any improvements in lap times. They were already reporting at the start of the session that rain would be coming down heavier. I didn't think it was going to be likely we would see much, if any, movement on that grid. And when it did go green again, the drivers did go out, the rain started to get heavier and the visibility was absolutely shocking. Lewis Hamilton came on the radio saying that this was weather for the extreme wet tyres. The commentators were agreeing with him. I think a couple of the drivers were as well. There was no way that one, it was safe for them to be trying to set quality laps in that rain and two, that they were going to ever be able to improve on those lap times. So after quality, the top three were Max Verstappen, which nobody was surprised at. Nico Hulkenberg, I think I should be more surprised at, but at this point, when it rains, I just expect Haas to do something weirdly brilliant. And then in P3, Fernando Alonso. Quali overall, though, was quite messy, and I can't lie, it was super hard to keep up with the amount of impeding incidents that we had. And I think the rain played a massive part in that and was causing a lot of the problems for the drivers. But post-race, we ended up getting three penalties for impeding, and they were Lance Stroll, Carlos Sainz, and Yuki Tsunoda, who each got given a three-place grid penalty to serve. Nico Hulkenberg also ended up getting a three-place grid penalty, so he did end up losing P2. And his was because he failed to slow under the red flags. Sunday race day, though, as promised, was a dry race day. We had the vast majority of the grid starting on medium tyres. That was obviously what the preferred strategy was for the day. But we did have Perez, Magnus, and Bottas all starting on hards. I think they were trying to make the most out of the hard tyres and a longer stint, especially for Perez, who had ended up qualifying out of place. And then, weirdly enough, they chucked Pierre Gasly on the soft tyres, and I think that was the weirdest one for me. Interesting strategy, but I think Alpine were throwing caution to the wind. He didn't end up getting out of Q1, so it was always worth a chance of just seeing what was going to happen. Charles Leclerc did end up managing to damage his car on the way to the grid, though, coming out of his garage. I think Fred Basu said he'd basically gone over a curb, damaged something, and the FIA had given them permission to repair the car on track. So a little bit of a tense time for Ferrari, I think, just to make sure that car was ready for the race. And then the race actually began, and... There were definitely moments in this race where I felt quite excited and gripped by what was going on. And then there were also moments where I thought quality was just a little bit more interesting than what the race was. And I think that's because during the race, I think there were two battles that I was quite interested in seeing how they played out. So at the beginning of the race, we had Lewis Hamilton make an absolutely amazing start. He 
got past Fernando Alonso right at the beginning. And I can't lie, I wasn't particularly expecting that. I think Lewis did just get a better launch than Fernando at that point because I was expecting the Aston Martin to be quicker. The new upgrades they'd brought to the AM seemed to be working pretty well for them between practice and quali, so I was expecting them to be a bit quicker than Mercedes. Merck had obviously seemingly had a better quality in the wet than they did a practice in the wet but in the run-up to this weekend they'd also said this wasn't going to be a strong track for them the car isn't good in slow speed corners and Canada is a slow speed corner track so that battle between Lewis, Fernando and George was probably something I was quite interested in seeing Verstappen I knew was going to end up flying away really early on in the race he was going to be clear front runner up ahead but I was quite interested to see how it was going to play out between those three trying to battle for P2 and P3 basically. Quite early on in the race though Williams got on the radio to Logan Sargent and asked him to stop the car whilst he was on track they said it was a critical issue so he wasn't able to even make it back to the pits. So a virtual safety car was deployed as Logan's car was moved. I don't think Williams have yet said what the issue was with Logan's car, just that it seemed to be a critical issue. They have said they need to go back and investigate what really happened with his car, but it is gutting for Logan though, since he didn't even manage to get more than a handful of laps into the Canadian Grand Prix. So that was the first VSC of the race. Our second one came because of George Russell. Now he went over a curb and I think he basically just lost control of the car a little bit as he went over it, took a little bit too much curb. He ended up hitting a wall. Thankfully it wasn't massive, massive damage to the point that the car had to stop, but he was missing half of his front wing. You could also see the wheel rim, I think, that had come off. And because of the debris that was on track from its front wing and the wheel rim, a full safety car came out. And on that note, I would just like to wish a happy 50th birthday to the safety car. The F1 safety car is celebrating 50 years and it got to make a lovely appearance on track this race. But during that safety car, a lot of the drivers did opt to get in for a pit stop. It was around the pit window anyway for the medium tyres, so it did work out quite nicely for a lot of the teams. Two of the drivers that didn't opt to pit, though, were Ferrari. Now, they were also starting on the medium tyres like everyone else. This wasn't like they were on a wildly different strategy. They weren't the drivers that were on the hard tyres. They had opted not to pit, which I did have a little bit of a panic about. I can't lie to you. Ferrari over probably the last two seasons have not been known for the best strategy calls so I did sit there for a little while and wonder why they weren't calling their drivers in but the majority of the grid did go into the pits. Lewis ended up being noted for an unsafe release since he had come out and nearly caused an incident with Fernando Alonso. Lando Norris was another one that was noted for an unsafe release from the pits. So it was a bit of a scramble, I think, when the safety car came out. I don't think any teams wanted to initially lose position. And for Lewis especially, he had had a slow stop. He would have been able to make it out easier ahead of Alonso. But I think that slow stop obviously caused Fernando to be able to get out of his pit stop first. Russell got a new front wing, got his rear wheels checked and that did take a little bit of time and it meant that he bumped down into 19th, which was essentially last since Logan Sargent had ended up retiring from the race. I was kind of surprised that he'd managed to go on in the race. I did think they were going to have to retire the car. That did end up happening for him just a little bit later on in the race. 
there seemed to be issues with his braking and there was a lot of brake wear and I don't think Mercedes wanted to risk one the car stopping out on track and two anything happening to the car they didn't want any further damage that they could actually prevent so it was getting for George who was starting in P4 I know him and Lewis really wanted to get onto the podium Mook would have loved another double podium but it just wasn't on the cards for him so this was his second retirement of the year I think as well there was the most Interesting incident between Kevin Magnussen and Nick DeVries during this race. The two drivers ended up making contact around lap 35 while Nick was trying to overtake. He ended up seemingly at breaking himself, locking up a little bit, going into a runoff area. I think as Kevin tried to take avoiding action, he also went into the runoff area. It was just a little bit of a mess between the two of them. Honestly, I was quite surprised they'd come away okay from the contact they had had, but it was literally wheel to wheel. I know we talk about wheel to wheel racing, but their wheels were exactly touching each other as they were trying to go through. Thankfully, both those cars managed to reverse out of the runoff area. Nick, I think, lost more time than Kevin did at that point. I think Kevin, after a little bit of a pause, also making sure it was safe to reverse out, managed to get out there. I think Nick had to wait for a couple more cars and he did struggle just to get the car into reverse and back out on the track. For Nick though, that incident was probably an absolute nightmare for him. Canada is the last of three races that Helmut Mark was given him to basically prove himself in keeping that AlphaTauri seat for the rest of the season. This sort of incident and then falling this far behind in the pack is not what he needed. He ended up finishing... In last place, in 18th after Logan Sargent and obviously George Russell had retired, he was in last place and it's just the last thing that he really needed. Not the sort of result you want to go to Helmut Marko with and say, look, I should stay in this car for the rest of the season. I wouldn't say it's looking the best for him right now. And it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks before Austria now. So no race next week, week after we're going to the Red Bull ring. But I think it'll be interesting in this gap to see what Helmut Marko says and to see what sort of news articles are coming out from it all. Now, I did mention earlier the fact that McLaren seemed to have a bit of a better quality pace than they do race pace. But it was the world's worst race for them, to be honest with you. They went right at the back and had certain things not had happened. Lando definitely would have ended up in the points. So Lando ended up facing a five-second time penalty for unsportsmanlike behaviour, according to the FIA. Essentially, he ended up getting a penalty for backing up the pack and driving unnecessarily slowly during that safety car period because McLaren were going to have to double stack their cars. During that safety car period, Oscar was just ahead of Lando and McLaren wanted to be able to double stack their cars. But if Lando didn't slow down a little bit, he was going to end up losing time and places to other cars. And so he slowed down just a little bit too much on track to give himself and the McLaren pit crew enough time to be able to service Oscar's car and then for Lando to be able to come in without losing much time and also all the cars behind him wouldn't be able to get out of the pits before him. You're not meant to do that. Drivers have been penalised for it before. You are not allowed to try and purposely slow down the pack to try and give you and your teammate and your team an advantage. So he ended up facing a five second time penalty and it basically knocked him out of the points. After that penalty was applied, he finished in P13, but without it, he would have finished in P9. So he would have gotten a couple of points there to add to his tally and McLaren's constructors tally. 
Oscar Piastri, though, finished outside of the points at P11. He also benefited, obviously, from that five-second time penalty. So McLaren are walking away from this race pointless. But I think Silverstone, they've got a couple of updates coming. So hopefully that will bring them some speed to that car where they can be more comfortably in the points and both drivers can get into the points. Now, I did mention that battle between Lewis and Fernando probably being one of the most interesting parts of the race. And generally it was, right? On the second set of pit stops after the safety car, Lewis had gone on to a fresh set of mediums because he didn't have any new hard tyres to go on and Fernando pitted one lap later onto a set of hard tyres. Now there was a really good stint for Lewis on those mediums where he seemed to be cutting down the areas to Fernando Alonso but I think the closest he got was about 1.9. So he was never within DRS range of Fernando. But when you got into that 1.9 second range, Fernando Alonso seemed to find another gear and be able to push on and create that gap between him and Lewis again and that got to about three seconds. Now I do think part of the reason that Lewis was able to make up that much time with Fernando was because Fernando was told that he was gonna have to lift and coast for a good part of his stint on the hard tyres and you could tell he wasn't happy about this but I think he was having some issues with his left rear braking. He's a race car driver he doesn't want to have to lift and coast. He said down the radio he wanted to go for the win he wanted to try and catch up with Max and battle him. Instead what he did was a lot of defending against Lewis and he did that really really well even with the lift and coasting and managed to secure P2 for the team. Lewis came in in P3, so we have three world champions on the podium, which is amazing, don't get me wrong. Now the other battle I love to see, and okay, it wasn't so much of a battle, then it was a really, really good defence, and that was Alexander Alban. My gosh, did he have such a phenomenal race. Williams love doing this to him, they love putting him on a set of tyres and just leaving him at it not going to pit him again he can just last as long as he can on those tires we saw in australia last year they did it again in this race he pitted after the safety car and that was it while most of the drivers came in again for another pit stop he was leading his own little drs train which is annoying don't get me wrong because the drs trains do make it infinitely harder for anyone to overtake anyone on track but he did such a great job defending against whoever was behind him at one point, he had George Russell behind him in the Mercedes. At another point, he had Esteban Ofgon behind him. So they were cars that generally should be better than the Williams. Mercedes, we know, are Alpine. They have been a little bit up and down, but in general, they are better than the Williams. And for him to be able to defend against both of those cars, and especially with Esteban Ocon towards the end of the race when his tyres were going away from him, really, really phenomenal drive from him. And that was so interesting to watch. He was absolutely chuffed by the end of the race. They finished in P7, so as gutting as it was that Logan wasn't able to finish, Alex managed to get a good haul of points home for the team and for himself as well. You could tell how happy Williams were. The upgrades for them looked like they were a massive step forward. I don't think it's going to launch them into the top four, but I think, like Alex was saying during his press conference, and like Williams have been saying with these new upgrades, it is going to bring them into battle with the midfield. I think they will end up seeing improvements on race weekends now where they should be able to be more consistently in the points. I am going to give an honourable mention to Ferrari here because as worried as I was when they didn't pit with everyone else, they made their strategy work for them. For the first time, I think, in a little while, Ferrari actually did a really good job with their strategy. 
I think they were listening to their drivers a little bit more during the race. Maybe they learned from quality. It is worth listening to what they're saying and how they feel about the car. And both of those drivers managed to finish in fourth and fifth, which is probably one of the most consistent drives that they've had this season so far as a team. Something just gelled for them during this race between the car, the drivers, the strategy. It all seemed to work out for them, which is amazing to see. And don't get me wrong, I don't think Ferrari is super happy with this and not overjoyed by the result. Of course, they want to be back on the podium. They want to be back on the top step of that podium. But this was a step forward for them. I think they're unlocking stuff with the car slowly. Charles had mentioned before the race weekend that they hadn't brought any upgrades to Canada, but they were trying to maximise the package that they had. So I think they are getting there with that slowly. That long stint on the mediums worked out for both of their drivers. So by the time they ended up pitting again, they weren't falling right behind the pack. I'm assuming from that their tyre wear was a lot better this race as well for them to go that long on a set of mediums because usually Ferrari tyre wear is one of their main weaknesses so maybe they found a way to sort of cube that in with their setup. But yeah, I want to give an honourable mention to them because whilst some people might not think it's much to shout home about, it was a really decent result for Ferrari, a really consistent result as a team. And I hope, I really, really hope this is something that they can keep up for the rest of the season. Your driver of the day did end up being Alex Alban. And yeah, I was split between Alex, Lewis and Fernando for this one. But I think it does have to go to Alex Alban because he was driving with a new set of upgrades. He was having to defend against cars like a Mercedes and an Alpine with drivers like George and Esteban. He was defending for his life on a set of very old tyres and he just did an amazing job of it. So yeah, I'm going with you guys, Alexander Alburn, driver of the day. And that is all I have for you guys this week. F1 are taking a break next weekend, so we have no racing, but they will be back at the end of June as we head to the Red Bull Ring in Austria. But even though F1 won't be back, I will be, so make sure you check out next Tuesday's episode. As always, it's released at 9am. Thank you guys and Dioghan Barrett for listening. Make sure you follow me on TikTok and Instagram at stewards underscore office for more F1 content and I will see you guys next time you're summoned to the stewards office.